Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, there's a lot to share. Uh, and uh, we want to get in, into it. So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do thank you for uh, this most holy Sabbath day. We thank you again for the opportunity to study out of your word. Uh, we're studying in Revelation chapter 13. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be very present and to guide and, and lead us into the truth. Uh, we don't wish to be deceived. We wish to know the truth uh, so that we can be prepared for what's, uh, what's coming and that we can also prepare our families and loved ones as well. We thank you for hearing this prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So far in our study of, of Revelation chapter 13, we found that the first beast, uh, that seven-headed beast, um, represents the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church. We're kind of seeing this theme, aren't we? We study into Daniel and we get in here into Revelation. Um, however, there's another beast that arises out of the earth that was lamb-like. It had lamb-like horns. It speaks as a dragon. And this second beast is the beast we're going to study about in this lesson. And you might be surprised, some of you, uh, at who the Bible and history defines this beast to be. So question one in our study, and what I have on the board, that's from last week. I <laughs> um, <clears throat> just haven't erased it yet. Um, question one, as the first beast was being led away into captivity, what did John see then? Remember this beast come up, it did some things we talked about, it was led away captive. And then John sees something else. In Revelation 13, verse 11 says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So what is it that John sees as that first beast is led away into captivity? What does he, essentially, what does he see next? A lamb-like beast with two horns. Yeah, he sees a beast rising up out of the earth uh, with two horns like a lamb, right? The Greek implies that it is of the same kind of beast as the first beast. It's really pretty interesting. Uh, and this is confirmed as, it's, as we look at its characteristics as they unfold. It works in close collaboration with the first beast. Um, the word translated as coming up is the Greek word anabeno. It means to ascend or to arise. In some places it says to spring up. Yeah. You, yeah, you've probably heard that word, to spring up. In Matthew 13 verse 7 Anabeno is used uh, to describe the growing of plants. It's, it springs forth. The form of the Greek word calls attention to essentially that process of emerging. And, and this is very help, helpful as we try to determine about this beast. Um, the prophet sees the action of this going on. He sees this beast coming up out of the earth, emerging out of the earth. I mean, it's, we, we can put pictures to it, but I just can't imagine being John the prophet there and seeing such a thing in vision, you know, and then having to describe it. This beast sprang up out of the earth. And the first beast arose up, we, we found, was out of the sea. So there's a difference there, right? Uh, the four beasts of Daniel 7 also arose from where? The sea. And since sea represents peoples and nations, earth may, I mean, we can be reasonable about it and, and, and assume that it rep represents probably a, a sparsely settled area, you know, somewhere. Um, the nation represented would therefore not arise like the other ones did, you know, with war or, or conquest um, or occupying, uh, but would develop like a plant that grows. It would develop into, uh, into greatness in a region that didn't have very many inhabitants, unlike the sea symbolizes. It had two horns. These can be taken to represent 
very notable features about this beast because John describes it. You know? And, and, and it's describing a nation, remember. That's what this is, a power, a nation. Such as, let's say, the, the American system of government, civil and religious liberty, both of which are guaranteed in the Constitution of the United States, are two things that are very, very prominent. I had no crowns on their horns either. Exactly. Civil liberty found its expression in a republican form of government and religious liberty in Protestantism. Um, it was like a lamb. Again, a symbol of youthfulness and peaceful intent. You know, when you think of a lamb, you don't think of, a, of an animal of prey. You know, you think of gentleness. It's young, it's peaceful. Other nations have been described in different ways, like wild beasts, because they have a kind of a warlike attitude. Um, but this beast with the horns of a lamb could well indicate a nation that, in the beginning of its history, uh, had didn't have that type of aspiration. Uh, its main concern was to live peacefully, uh, to live for itself, you know, order its own affairs, uh, be a haven of rest, in essence, uh, for people who are oppressed uh, and, and such things. But then John says it's, it, it, it spake as a dragon. Now if you, you get into the Greek there, it's kind of interesting. It, it literally means was speaking. Uh, that is, it was its habit to speak as a dragon, which I found to be kind of interesting. And this agrees with the, uh, the following verses, you know, uh, when we get into it, which describe the activities of that beast during the period when it speaks like a dragon, you know. Uh, it uses kind of a present tense, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Since a beast in prophecy represents a kingdom or a government or a political power, we need to con we would conclude that one of these uh, was to come up about 1798. That was after the first beast went into captivity. You know, when the deadly wound was inflicted, right, to papal Rome. In locating what power rose at that time, let's notice the following points again about this prophecy. First, when the prophet saw the papal beast uh, go into captivity, he beheld another beast with two horns like a lamb coming up. So you know it's right in the same kind of ballpark frame, right, time frame. A lamb isn't full grown. That's something else. This kingdom, government, political power, therefore, would be coming up. It wouldn't be fully grown in 1798. Or else it'd be described as, you know, a fully grown animal, you know. Um, and so it's just emerging. Uh, second thing, while the four beasts of Daniel 7 and verse 3 and the first beast of Revelation 13, 1 all came up from the sea, which in prophecy means, again, peoples, nations, uh, multitudes, tongues. Uh, the second beast came up out of the earth, indicating that uh, while the first beast arose uh, in highly populated areas, this one was going to arise in new territory or, or, or not as populated. The third thing, the dragon of Revelation 12 and the first beast of Revelation 13 both had crowns. And this is something that you were talking about. But this beast didn't have any crowns which would indicate that it would not have a kingly ruler. And that's a very uh, unique characteristic. A fourth thing, it would exercise its power before the papal beast, we read in verse 12, showing that it is not a Catholic kingdom, government, or political power, nor counted as part of that papal confederacy. That's another very important characteristic. Um, the fifth thing it would be a great kingdom or, or government for it was equal in power to the first beast. We read there in verse 12, to the papacy. And another thing, the sixth thing, its principles were to be lamb-like. Or you could say Christ-like. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? So, so it would be lamb-like. Christ advocated, uh, you read the Gospels, he advocated two really great principles First, separation of church and state. He said, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's, and render unto God the things which are God's. Right? And, and, and that is to keep the two separate. Um, the second, religious liberty. 
He said in John 12, 47, he said, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. So we have freedom of will. We have that liberty. And of course in Matthew he said, judge not lest ye be judged. You know. So when we take all of this into consideration, we think about it, and we look at history, there are only two contenders that could possibly uh, begin to fit the criteria for this beast. You have the United States and you have Australia. Both arose in the late 18th century, the United States in 1776, Australia was in 1788. Uh, both were founded in regions of the world that were sparsely populated. Both were youthful nations, but here's where Australia falls short. While the United States commenced as a haven for persecuted Christians from Europe, Australia didn't arise as a mild nation with lamb-like principles. It was founded as what, you know? It was a penal colony. Yeah. So history testifies from the start that the United States was characterized by its unique uh, separation of church and state, and allowing freedom of religion for all people. It's in the Constitution, the supreme law of the land of this nation. There is a striking contradiction between the appearance and actions of this beast. In appearance, it's gentle, apparently harmless, uh, but in action, it's persecuting and cruel. Verses 12 to 18, you, you see that, how it changes. Uh, when the prophecy is applied to the United States, it's immediately apparent that uh, fulfillment of the prediction, well, it's yet future. We're basically, we're getting into it, aren't we? Uh, the United States uh, does continue to maintain the principles of freedom, so far, though it, I mean, it's heavily under attack today. Um, and, and I mean, I have to say and ask, are we seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes? I believe that we are. Um, and so, <clears throat> let me share this with you. This is out of the Great Controversy, page 441. It says, The Christian exiles who first fled to America sought an asylum from royal oppression and priestly intolerance and they determined to establish a government upon the brown, excuse me, broad foundation of civil and religious liberty. The Declaration of Independence sets forth the great truth that all men are created equal and endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution guarantees to the people the right of self-government, providing that representatives elected by the popular vote shall enact and administer the laws. Freedom of religious faith was also granted, every man being permitted to worship God according to the dictates of his conscience. This is interesting what she says here. She says, Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. I, I get a very good idea sometimes when I'm hearing leaders in this country talking, and I hear them, when I start to hear them talk about how great, America's democracy is, I know right off the bat they really don't have a true understanding of the founding of this country. We have aspects of a democracy, but a democracy primarily is that the majority rules. And in this country, we were founded on a, a, it's a republic. The minority is protected. It's not a, it can't get to a mob rule or shouldn't get to a mob rule uh, kind of a thing. She goes on, she says, these principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. Isn't that interesting? These principles, what? Republicanism and Protestantism are the secret, secrets of its, its power and prosperity. That's an incredible statement. What do we see under attack today? Well, it's called a democracy for one thing. We're getting away from a representative republic. And are there really that many true Protestants alive today? Well, you don't hear them. I mean, there are some, don't get me wrong. There, of course there are some. She says, The oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with intent, interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations on the earth. And so we find that there's this gentleness and an innocence based on republicanism and Protestantism. But John then says that the, this nation will speak as a dragon. That was question one. <laughs> question two. Now, 
this is, there's a lot to share in this lesson. This lesson only has eight questions. But there's a lot to share in each question. So question two, how does the second beast resemble the first? Revelation 13, verse 11, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a, what was it? A dragon. How does the second beast resemble the first? He speaks like a dragon, which was one of the, the composites of the first beast. The others being what? The leopard, the bear, and the lion. History testifies that from the start, the United States was characterized by its unique separation of church and state, allowing freedom of religion to all people. Um, And so I want to share something with you. This kind of tells us that this nation is going to, it's going to change, it's going to speak as a dragon, it's going to enact laws to bind the consciences of men in essence, in regard to their religious privileges. I want to share something with you. I shared this over 13 years ago. Uh, I found it in my notes. Uh, not long after the, the twin attack on the Twin Towers, it was an article entitled The USA Patriot Bill by Derry Brownfield, dated August 8, 2002. It, it was on the, new, the, uh, the website newswithviews.com. And, and I want to share it with you because I want you to listen to the words that he's saying here and I want you to compare what he said then in 2002 to today's climate in this country in 2015. He says, the U.S. Patriot Bill was called the Anti-Terrorism Bill and was passed by both houses and signed by President Bush before anyone had a chance to read its contents. That's kind of commonplace today, isn't it? We have to pass it to know what's in it. You you ever heard that? He says the title of the bill, Uniting and Strengthening America by Providing Appropriate Tools Required to Intercept and Obstruct Terrorism Act, is very misleading. The Patriot Act is not going to make the USA safe from terrorist attacks, and it takes away many of the rights guaranteed to us by the Constitution. Very few Americans are paying attention to what is happening to their freedoms. The Patriot Bill, along with Homeland Security, has increased the ability of the federal government to commit surveillance on U.S. citizens without search warrants. Section 213 of the Patriot Act, Authority for Delaying Notice of the Execution of a Warrant, allows police to avoid giving prior warning when searches of personal property are conducted. The Fourth Amendment of the Constitution states the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. That's the Constitution. Section 215 of the Patriot Bill gives the federal government the authority to acquire any business records by order of a secret U.S. court. Anyone receiving a search order is not allowed to tell anyone else what has taken place. This not only violates the Fourth Amendment, but also free speech, First Amendment. These acts totally disregard the U.S. Constitution and have set the slate for a dictator to rule over this, to rule over us. This was written in 2002 when George W. Bush was president. What do we have today? Our founding fathers warned us of a tyrannical government and wrote the Constitution to protect us from these very things. Our law enforcement agencies now have the power to spy on us, set up files on individuals, and make midnight raids upon homeowners, all in the guise of protecting us from terrorists. Our constitutional freedoms are not only being ignored, but in principle have been disposed of. There is practically no connection between the Trade Towers attacks and this legislation. Section 802 defines terrorism in such a way that anyone who disagrees with the power structure could be considered a terrorist. Section 802 says, activity that involves acts dangerous to human life that violate the laws of the United States or any state and appear to be intended to intimate or coerce a civilian population appear to be intended to do a dangerous act, you and I could probably fit into that category depending upon who's making the charge. Section 203 
authority to share criminal investigative information. No court order is necessary for law enforcement to provide untested information, and the information is not limited to the person being investigated. The FBI or the CIA or other government agencies are not prohibited from giving this information to foreign intelligent operations. This is the creation of an international political secret police. Our Constitution was written with checks and balances in order to keep our government from turning into a police state. The Trade Towers attacks give our leaders the opportunity they had been waiting for as patriotism was stirred up among our citizens, without which these laws could have never been passed. Now, I shared that with you because look at where we are today. And we see, and I could argue, that it is so much worse today than then. It's incredible. But this initially upright nation John saw in vision was later to become the agent of Satan. He was going to be speaking as a dragon. And that means there's an attack on uh, liberty and religious freedom. And we've seen that. Incredible attacks on the First Amendment, freedom of speech. Incredible attacks on the Second Amendment, which protects all the amendments. You know, and, and on and on. Question number three. How much power will this beast exercise and what will he cause the world to do? Let's go back to Revelation 13 and verse 12 again. It says, He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. That is, let's stop there, that is in his presence. The first beast who'd been fatally wounded has come back to life and is once more active in world affairs. His promoter and agent is the second beast. That's what John's saying here. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So how much power will this beast exercise and and what will he cause the world to do? Well, he's going to exercise all the power of the first beast to cause all to worship the first beast. I mean, I don't think anyone can argue that during the height of its power, the first beast, the papacy, exercised worldwide authority in both religious and political matters. We go back to our study in Daniel 7 and and we look at history, we can see that. Um, For the second beast to exercise all the authority of the first beast, it will have to enter the field of religion and seek to dominate religious worship. For the United States to take this step will mean a complete reversal of its uh, present laws. It's policy of granting full freedom of religion to citizens. Do we see that coming? Do we see that happening? You know, years ago in this country, and we've talked about this before, at the time of the deadly wound, I mean, you didn't want to be a Catholic. Yeah. Not in this country. And it, boy, has it changed today, hasn't it? You had the Pope just last month, well, two months ago, almost now, Addressing Congress. He was worshipped like a rock star. It is incredible. Incredible to see. But this change in policy will doubtless come in innocently. That's how they work. Behind the scenes, they're all so innocent, aren't they? Maybe under the guise of a so-called you know, family day, which I think is what's going to be pushed. Um... I think they tried to do this, you know, Nature Day and World Day, but they're going to combine it into a family day. And if you don't keep that family day, you're going to be penalized. Innocent as it may seem, any attempt to regulate a religious day by law violates the fundamental principles of the First Amendment of the highest law in this land. Religious liberty. Prophecy here points to the enactment of some religious measure the observance of which would be regarded as an act of worship in that the worshiper, by observing it, acknowledges the authority of the first beast in matters of religion. That is what worship is about, isn't it? Religion. A hint as to the nature of the enactment is found in Revelation 14, verses 9 to 12, which we'll begin to study 
next week, <clears throat> the next lesson. These verses contrast the saints with the worshipers of the beast and his image, and note that one of the distinguishing characteristics of the saints, of the saints, is the keeping of the commandments of God. So, you have that line drawn, and you have the saints and those who follow and worship the beast. And what does the saints do? What sets them apart? They keep God's commandments. Also remember that Daniel 7.25 states that this power would think to change times and laws. Let me share this again. This is from the Great Controversy, page 442. Hang on just a second here. I don't know what would be causing the lag. Sorry. Great Controversy, page 442. The prediction that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all the power of the first beast plainly foretells the development of the spirit of intolerance and persecution that was manifested by the nations represented by the dragon and the leopard-like beast. And the statement that the beast with two horns causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast indicates that the authority of this nation is to be exercised in enforcing some, some observance which shall be an act of homage to the papacy. Think and cause. Enact. So it has to do with laws. Laws of the land and that go against conscience. So what is here envisioned is a universal movement under the leadership of Satan. He's the dragon, right? Gave him his seat and authority. Who's seeking to secure for himself the allegiance of all the inhabitants of the earth. And he'll succeed in uniting these various religious elements and in securing the loyalty of men to this new uh, world order, this new organization pattern after the old. It's just a new name. It's a new label, but it's the same old false religion. He's the power behind the beast because he's the real Antichrist who's working to make himself God. And we talked about that a little bit today, um, earlier. This prophecy declares a union of purpose, you see, between the two beasts. The leopard-like beast, that seven-headed beast, papal Rome, and the two-horned beast, the United States. And as the world's lone superpower, the United States clearly has the ability to cause the earth and them to dwell therein to worship the first beast from a uh, mob rule mentality, force, coercion. They can do it. Notice this. This is from uh, the Standish brothers. They wrote a book entitled Two Beasts, Three Deadly Wounds, and Fourteen Popes. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's actually kind of a rather interesting book. But notice what they say here. They say, Clearly the two great powers which unite in purpose to oppose God's law and persecute His people as this sinful earth's history closes are the United States and the Vatican. The United States is unchallengeably the great military power of the planet and the Vatican the most powerful religious entity. You just see it. Question four. What means will be used to induce people to worship the first beast? Let's go to Revelation 13, verse 13. Now we're moving on to another, the next verse. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now this is only part of it. So what, what is one of the means he's going to use to induce people to worship the first beast? He's going to use great miracles and, and wonders, right? He does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. So he's going to use miracles, wonders in the sight of, of all people. And this reveals the agency by which he's going to secure the allegiance of everybody in the world. These miracles are going to deceive people into believing that the new organization, the image, has the blessing of God resting upon it. Among the signs he works are conspicuous ones that attract the attention of people. The bringing down of fire from heaven, where have we seen that before in the Bible? Elijah. That's one place, wasn't it? 
Elijah there at Mount Carmel. It was the sign that was given as the evidence of the power of the true God. He came down, sent fire down from heaven, and not only did he, he take care of that sacrifice, but burn everything around it. Huge exclamation point. Boom! And, and so the, this beast is going to, to make it appear that God is supporting his program. Fire is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 3.16, it says, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we see this symbol again at Pentecost, don't we? With the apostles, when there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat on each of them, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And so this false fire from heaven is a, is a false representation of the Holy Spirit, or more precisely, the deceiving spirits of demons counterfeiting the works of the Holy Spirit. These demons will work wonders in an attempt to deceive, uh, as Jesus said, even the very elect, if possible. Um, and we should expect these miracles to come through the agency of spiritism or spiritualism. Satan, claiming to be God, will seek to support his claim by these miracles. And, we, and, and most of all the world who are ignorant to any of these things will think indeed it is the God of heaven that is supporting this. I'll share one more thing before uh, question number five. This is from Testimonies for the Church, volume 1, page 302. Some will be tempted to receive these wonders as from God. The sick will be healed before us. Miracles will be performed in our sight. Are we prepared for the trial which awaits us when the lying wonders of Satan shall be more fully exhibited? Will not many be ensnared and taken? By departing from the plain precepts and commandments of God and giving heed to fables, the minds of many are preparing to receive these lying wonders." We must all now seek to arm ourselves for the contest in which we must soon engage. Faith in God's word, prayerfully studied and practically applied, that's a key. We've got to put it into practice. When we learn something's truth, we need to make changes and put it into practice. So she says, prayerfully studied and practically applied will be our... Let me read that sentence from the beginning. Faith in God's word prayerfully studied and practically applied, will be our shield from Satan's power and will bring us off conquerors through the blood of Christ. Question number five. What does he do by means of those miracles and what will he propose the people shall do? Verse 14 in Revelation chapter 13. says, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So what does he do by means, uh, by the means of those miracles and what will he propose the people shall do? Well, he deceives the whole world and he convinces them to create an image to the verse beast to actually battle against God. But the people won't believe they're battling against God. They'll believe that they're battling against God's adversary. See? Satan, claiming to be God, will seek to support his claim by means of undeniable miracles. Jesus warned concerning false Christ and false prophets who would arise and show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, like I said before, Matthew 24, 24, they shall deceive the very elect. Paul declared that the Antichrist would work in the last days with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's almost like he couldn't get enough adjectives to describe it, you know. Um, In preparation for Armageddon, spirits of devils working miracles will go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, Revelation 16, 14. I'm going to talk about that in a couple weeks, I think. It is in a couple weeks. About these three-on-three, I called it about spiritualism and these devils working miracles. 
what certain groups claim as miracles, it's, it's rather interesting, skeptics attribute to chance circumstances or to sleight of hand or, you know, somehow they are faking it, it's a fraud. Uh, physical science has no place in its scheme for anything that's supernatural. You know, evolutionists will tell you that, oh, well, we've got to have the proof, you know. We don't believe in this hodgepodge supernatural stuff, you know. And Satan is pleased by that. Uh, he likes it when people disbelieve miracles uh, in that respect if they truly are from God uh, it suits his purpose to deceive when the time's right he's going to employ though supernatural power in a special way to deceive even the scientists um, men unable to explain Satan's miracles they're going to, they will they'll be a force to attribute to them to, to the power of God and the whole world is going to be led captive So having this supposed endorsement of God and the deceived world supporting it, the two-horned beast or the United States will say to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. The word image is Strong's number uh, 1504. It's ikone, which means an image, a figure, a likeness. So this second beast, the United States, is going to make a likeness to the first beast, which is Papal Rome. What is it about that that they can do to make an image to it? An image would be an organization functioning much on the same principles as the first beast's organization. Well, what kind of organization do they have? Well, they have uh, among their principles that they use to operate is the use of the secular arm to support the religious institutions. We call that a church and state combined. In imitation, the United States will repudiate its principles of freedom. They're not going to burn the Constitution. They're just not going to... We already see it today. They just don't live by the Constitution. We have a president who doesn't obey the Constitution. We've got Congress that doesn't obey the Constitution. They just kind of do their own thing and Whatever, see. So they will repudiate those principles, but they just won't do, quote, do away with it, see. There's this mirage that's captivated the people thinking, oh, yeah, we have this supreme law of the land, it's called the Constitution, but it's not really there anymore. When they can force you against your conscience to bake a cake against your religious convictions, we do not have that law anymore. We don't have that freedom anymore, especially when the government penalizes you for that, fines you, fines you so much it puts you out of business. And so the church will prevail upon the state to enforce its dogmas. That's the papacy. State and church will unite. And the result will be the loss of religious liberty and the persecution of anybody who dissents. And it's then that this beast speaks, this lamb-like, you know, two-horned beast speaks as a dragon. Just how does the United States, a once Protestant fortress, create an image to papal Rome? Well, when you look at the history of the United States and its relationship with the papacy, some interesting things do appear. The Protestant pilgrims and their descendants that founded the United States detested the papacy. Bill came in this morning and we got on the subject of uh, Christmas. I don't know, him and Deb were talking. Somehow that came up. And uh, Bill said, you know, he was giving her some history lessons. And he said, you know, one time in this country there was laws against mm-hmm. keeping Christmas. That's what Scrooge came about. <laughs> and in fact, that's what he said, you know. And, and, and so there was this, you know, you detested anything that had to do with the papacy in, in Christmas, if you do any study on Christmas, it originated as a mass. It was Christ mass. It was all part of that process of evangelism, bringing in pagan customs, but putting a Christ name on it, Christian name on it. And so they detested the papacy. Catholics were shunned in many places in this country at that time. Their books and their views weren't endorsed in any way. Um, and... and, and let me ask you, is it the same with American Protestants today? 
And that's the way they behave then, but do they behave that way? No. In fact, the trend is Romeward. <laughs> if the trend is Romeward towards Rome, then it must be Papal Rome that is working in disguise to bring about such a trend. It's vital to know that Papal Rome has been carrying out a plan for decades to make America a Roman Catholic nation. In fact, uh, one of the supplements that I gave with last the lesson for today that I gave a couple weeks ago um, talked about, they were excerpts from different sources that talked about how Rome has infiltrated into the United States. Gives proof of that infiltration in, in different things. Yeah, exactly. Libraries, libraries. big time libraries. Um, let me share these things with you. Um, this is an article, The Mission Movement in America, issued from the Catholic University in June 1909. It says, Our purpose is to make America dominantly Catholic. That was their purpose. Here's another one. Um, this was quoted in Protestant Magazine, of all things, but it's, it's an extract from a letter in the Missionary Roman Catholic uh, publication. It says, It seems to me that the main support of Protestantism comes from the United States and England. If we put an end to this effort in England and the United States by making these nations predominantly Catholic, we will have removed the chief obstacle to the conversion of the world to the true faith. Mm -hmm. What should consider? If the two-horned beast makes an image to the leopard-like beast, and the United States is the two-horned beast, and Papal Rome is the leopard-like beast, then the papacy is going to be very active in creating this image. Right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So Papal Rome began focusing on America's youth, not in an antagonistic way, but quietly, in wisely planned, systematically organized, well-directed efforts along numerous lines so as to gain favor among Protestants. They started with the children. Uh, these lines include the instilling of papal concepts in school textbooks, uh, revising books of reference. Oh, there's the, the, the evidence is overwhelming. You know, see how they, they worked through the libraries to remove, they, they, they got it to, to a point to where the library, when, when these encyclopedias were being put together and it had anything to do with the religion, they sought the Catholics' uh, interpretation of it so as not to offend the Catholic Church. So what you find is not really truth about uh, what they might say about Sunday or what they might say about holidays or whatever because it's all tainted from a Catholic perspective. Um, muzzling the public press, controlling public libraries, like I mentioned, censorship of books, becoming politically active to control legislatures, to control judicial branches, to control... It's remarkable. Several years ago... Let me share this with you. Several years ago, I did a search for all books by Ellen White in the county library. I was curious. I didn't find one book. Not one book. Putting religion aside for just a moment. Here you have the most prolific female author of all time. Considered one of the top 100 people of history in the United States. And you cannot find one book of hers in the public library. That should tell you something. So at the time, when I, when I discovered that, at the time I took a Conflict of the Ages series and I donated it to the county library. I went in and I donated it. never hit the shelves. Never hit the shelves. It was placed in the... Because uh, I went and I, I, you know, I looked for it. They placed it in what they called the yearly library sale. And when I questioned them about it, I mean, I, they, gave you, they give you canned answers, you know, about, well, we only have so much space here. The library's only so big. And, and there's certain conditions that got to be met before we put any. And I'm sitting here, and I thought, you've got to be out of your mind. I could go right in there and pull out all kinds of heathen books. Yeah. So just the other day, I searched again. Because you can go to the link on the internet and do a search. I did every search of her name. I did this, that, and the other. I found one book. I, actually, I was stunned I found one. 
And I guess that's an improvement. No, it was a version of the Great Controversy. Uh, but I've never seen that version before. I've never seen that version before. Never heard of it. It makes me wonder if it's one of those versions that, yeah. that you know removed a bunch of the information about the, the you know the papacy and what we're learning actually in our prophecy series here. So make no mistake, friends. Papal Rome has many organizations uh, within its realm to secure their goal of making the world Catholic. I forgot about the other cult too. One of the uh, prominent uh, organizations is the Society of Jesus. It's also known as the Jesuits. This is a secret order of the Roman Catholic Church. It was founded uh, on August 15, 1534 by the Spaniard Ignatius Loyola. It was sanctioned by Pope Paul III on September 27, 1540. Loyola resolved to undertake the restoration of the papacy to world dominion by destroying all the enemies of the Pope in one way or another. And I would encourage you to do your own study on Ignatius Loyola. But I want you to notice, too, that the Jesuits carry on an extensive educational program in the United States. In fact, there are many universities throughout our country that are Jesuit-run, Jesuit schools. We had presidents graduate. Georgetown University, you know, Boston College. Um, I mean, you can go on and on. Um, But uh, they have an extensive educational program, and according to their textbooks, their principles of civil government are, and if you look at these and study these out, they are diametrically opposed to the American ideas of separation of church and state. And we've studied some of these things before. They hate... You know, they don't tell you this face to face, but you'll find it in some of their writings and stuff. They hate religious liberty. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. Not one. They hate it with a passion. They want to destroy. In fact, that was one of their goals was to destroy the Constitution of this country, because the very First Amendment was for religious liberty and freedom of expression, freedom of speech. Um, you can look at their manual of Christian doctrine. Uh, and and you, that'll explain that as well. You look that up in the library because it's there. <laughs> no books by Ellen White, you know, Prophet of the Lord, but their manuals are all there. Revelation thirteen verse fifteen says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. During the supremacy of the first beast, the religious decrees of the church were enforced by the strong arm of the state. That's why when you you know you got to understand when the Pope says. You know, the church apologizes for all these atrocities. He's not talking about the Pope or the Curia or any of the cardinals. He's talking about the people. The people made a mistake because they were uh, unfaithful. He's not talking about all the, the murders and atrocities they committed. You've got to understand exactly who they are and what they're saying because it's doublespeak. The Bible talks about this entity speaking in dark sentences. You've you got to kind of know exactly what their actual meaning is when they say certain things. But what they would do is they would use the state, coerce the state, uh, um, to do their dirty work for them. And, of course, they were as clean as the wind-driven snow, see. But there was, there was this union. It was a union of religious and civil power. When the United States adopts the same course as that of papal Rome, it will have created an image of the beast, that first beast. Question six. How will the worship of the beast and its image be enforced? Revelation 13, verse 16. Let's read it. And he causeth all, both great and small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads. So how are they going to enforce this, this worship? Of the bees. Well, you're going to receive a mark. All who worship the beast will receive a mark of distinction. The Greek word for mark that's being used here by John is karagama. And it means a graving, a sculpture, a mark cut in or stamped. Which is really interesting. And this is evidently a stamp of loyalty to the beast. Uh, some special feature that denotes that the one displaying such a mark worships that beast, whose deadly wound was healed, by the way, right? Thomas Newton says, 
it was customary among the ancients for servants to receive the mark of their master and soldiers of their general and those who were devoted to any particular deity of the particular deity to whom they were devoted. These marks were usually impressed on their right hand or on their forehead. Isn't that interesting? Matthew Henry, he states this. He's a, in his commentary on the Bible. He says, and this is his com- comments on Revelation 13, 11 to 18. He says, it's probable that the mark, the name, and the number of the beast may all signify the same thing that they make an open profession of their subjection and obedience to the papacy, which is receiving the mark in their forehead, and that they oblige themselves to use all their interest, power, and endeavor to promote the papal authority, which is receiving the mark in their right hands. I would say Matthew Henry did understand it. Is this mark a visible one, such as a computer chip or a barcode or tattoo? I have no doubt that Satan will use such things to trick people, mm-hmm. you know. But this mark is not a literal brand, not spiritually speaking, you know, but some sign of allegiance that identifies the bearer as loyal to the power represented by that beast, to people Rome. This mark being in the hand or in the forehead may indicate that not only one's labor, the hand, but also one's belief is affected as um, Matthew Henry was saying. Um, the phrase may also designate two classes, those who submit to the decrees of the beast merely from expediency and those who do so from personal conviction. I know this, papal Rome doesn't care. They don't care if you believe it or not. They care if you're just going to do it. See? That's why, you know, I mean, they would get people to confess uh, and repent, recant. They'd still put them to death. But in their minds, they're saying, well, we saved you from purgatory or hell. Oh, we're still going to put you to death because we can't have you going around saying all this stuff. You know. Question number seven. What will be employed to compel all to receive this mark? Revelation 13, verse 17. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what, what's going to be employed to compel them? You're not going to be able to buy or sell unless you have that mark, right? That's pretty straightforward, really, isn't it? One will not be able to purchase or sell goods or partake of any other benefit of civil society unless they have the mark of this beast, this Stern measure will be taken in an effort to uh, secure compliance with that image. Um, and we'll get, get into more detail about the mark uh, in, in the coming lessons here. Last question. Question number eight. What will be the ultimate penalty for breaking this worship law? Because it does have to do... Does, it has everything to do with worship, doesn't it? Revelation 13, verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that's legislate and enforce, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So what's the ultimate penalty for breaking a worship law? It's a death penalty, isn't it? All who will not worship the beast is going to receive a death penalty. The word translated there, and I wanted to, I wanted to bring this out because it says um, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. The word translated as life is the Greek word pneuma. It, it means spirit or wind or, or breath. You go throughout the Bible, you see that in the, in the New Testament. Uh, and even some of the Hebrew words, they, they mean the same thing. Uh, the symbolical image John saw in vision became animated by this miracle working power of the second beast. It gave life to the first beast. Kind of like Dr. Frankenstein giving life to the monster. It, that first beast is dead, and here comes the second beast, the United States, and he gives life to it. Brings it back from the dead, essentially. 
And so the new organization begins to function. And like its predecessor threatens with you know, extinction those who refuse compliance to any of its dogma. The first thing this newly formed image does is to speak. Undoubtedly through its laws, through its dogma, its enactments. And having spoken officially through its laws, the image next puts them into effect. So you have the United States being influenced by the uh, the ministers, the churches, the you know of the land to enact laws, and since these are religious laws, they'll cut across the the conscientious convictions of a lot of people. Um, legislation in matters of religion has ever been followed by persecution. You can. You can chart it through history. It was that way during the Middle Ages. You know, you had the massacre of the Albigenses, the Waldenses, and others by the civil power, but it was prompted by the Church of the Day, which was Papal Rome. And in its uh, attempt to make all Earth's inhabitants give allegiance to the first beast, second beast is going to issue a decree threatening with death all who maintain their loyalty to God. What? Yep. That's right. In its attempt to make all Earth's inhabitants give allegiance to Papal Rome, the United States will issue a decree threatening with death all who have not given such allegiance. And after a time, the decree will be enforced. That is so hard to imagine knowing the history of this country, isn't it? But remember, the description John gave was a lamb-like beast that speaks like a dragon. The good news is, friends, that God has foretold that His saints will not be killed. It would be well for us to be a saint, don't you think? (laughs) So my friends, we've seen in the study of God's word that the two-horned beast will play a prominent role in enforcing the mark of the leopard-like beast. We've discovered that the United States is the two-horned beast and Papal Rome is the lamb-like beast. Um, Excuse me, Papal Rome is the first beast. And the lamb-like beast is the United States and... and, uh, the lamb-like horns and the dragon voice point to probably one of the, the most striking contradictions between the professions and the practice of this country. As like I just said, it's, it's just hard to imagine knowing the, the history of this country and how it was founded, how it could go completely 180. And so there's going to be a time when there will be developed within our country. And we see it right now. We see it now. Uh, this spirit of intolerance. And it's not intolerance on you know, sexual, sexual identity or gender or anything. It's intolerance towards Christians. True Christians. How can you deny that today? Christians are being persecuted all over the world. Even in this country. That you're supposed to have freedom of religion. The statement that the beast with two horns causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast indicates that the authority of the United States is to be exercised in enforcing some observance which shall be an act of homage to papal Rome. And we'll discover just exactly what this mark is and how to avoid it as we begin our study of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14 in the next few weeks. So I hope, uh, I'm, I'm sure this has opened some people's eyes. Um, and maybe a shock, <laughs> you know. But uh, truth is truth. Jesus spoke a lot of things in his time that just shocked people at that time. But it was the truth. They had gotten so far away from it, they just couldn't see it. But God has sends his He sends His Holy Spirit to help us to have discernment and understand truth, even if it just is shocking to us. Um, so I encourage you to do your own study, and uh, God will lead you into the truth if you're honest at heart. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so much for your holy word. We thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit to help guide us into the truth. And as we we learn about these things, we pray for 
uh, conviction of heart. We pray for preparation that we may be spiritually prepared uh, to, to see Jesus when he returns, but that we may also have uh, and be given uh, of a strength to endure, uh, Lord, and to, to stand for what is true, uh, though the heavens fall. We thank you so much for Jesus as our example and our Savior. And uh, we pray that you'll continue to bless us with protection, with the ministry of angels, and with uh, uh, the opportunity to be a living epistle to our families and friends and our neighbors. Please continue to be with us in the coming days ahead. May we bring glory to thy name in the things that we think, the things we say, and our actions. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.